Today's guest, Anna Heinendirk, Director Marketing, Strategy and Business Development at Scheffler USA. How long will internal combustion engines be there? They will be there for another 20 years, right, for sure. But we have to think further and we have to make sure that we get a good understanding in the aftermarket, our customers. So we have to, you know, embark on this journey together and learn about these products. And then, of course, and that's something... Um, that is really key for us is to get the access to the data um, that's in the vehicles um, to make sure that our customers are able to repair that vehicle. Tech Talk, the automotive aftermarket podcast. Hi and welcome to the next episode of our Tech Talk aftermarket podcast. Today we are doing a deep dive into the parts manufacturer business, specifically of our friends from Scheffler. And I'm very pleased that Anna, who was of course pretty busy, took the time to speak to us at Apex. As she's responsible for the whole Americas region, we talked about differences in the markets and their local approach. Motorsport sponsoring, specifically the Scheffler Funny Car, I'm not making that up, that's how it's called actually, but also serious business as the difficult supply chain situation during and post-pandemic, Anna's favorite topic she's dealing with, which is digitalization, and how it supports creating additional services, how telematics data plays into that, and the two big E's of course, e-commerce and electrification. Anna has a vast knowledge in all these fields. She's pretty smart. It was great to get all the insights on how Scheffler is approaching these challenges. She's definitely one of the new generation of leaders you want to watch for the future. But for now, without further ado, let's jump right into the podcast. Good morning here from Apex in Las Vegas. It's the it's the first day. It's quite early and we have our first guest, Anna Heinendirk. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, Christian. I'm very happy to be here. Yes, Thank thanks you. for for taking the time. So we have a, another guest from Scheffler. Like in the first season, we had already uh, someone from Scheffler. It was Jan Bambas talking about sustainability. Now Scheffler is becoming more or less a stable in our in our tech talk, which is which is really nice. I think. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to be here, and we are going to talk about digitalization. Um, yes. Can you give a little introduction about yourself? So. We know your name now, but what are you doing with Scheffler? Yeah, um, of course. I've been with Scheffler since 2016. Um, before I joined Scheffler, I was working in consulting, strategy and marketing consulting. Um, joined Scheffler in 2016. I started uh, in the global strategy team for the automotive aftermarket division and headquarters in Germany. And... Um, gained some experience about strategy, strategic topics. Um, and then I got the opportunity to move to the US in 2019, um, which was very exciting for me. And I took over the responsibility for strategy and business development in the region Americas for the automotive aftermarket. And then in 2020, uh, marketing was added to my responsibilities. Uh, so now I'm your colleague since 2020, basically. Um, yeah, and so I'm... I have a team, um, my responsibility is from basically Canada down to Argentina, so it's not only North America, but oh, the wow, entire... It's the whole Americas. The whole Americas region, yeah, which is um, for me a great experience to experience all those cultures. And I'm extremely happy and thankful to be here today. Yes, it's really great. I'm really happy to have you because because I think it's even more important and we, we, we had it in the in the first season with Maria Bonelli to also have like the strong female leaders we have in the market to, to give them a voice and to, to give them a stage to talk about what what great things they are doing. 
and you mentioned it that you're taking care of the of the whole Americas. So how are the cultural differences? Because uh, I know it's it's kind of a connected market, especially from the U.S. and Mexico. And but the further south you go, the the more different it gets. So how do you tackle this? Yeah, I think, um, like you said, it's very different, and um, from different, yeah, different aspects are very different. So, I mean, in the automotive aftermarket, we always look at the car park. I think that's the most obvious thing. So, um, the car park is very different uh, in the U.S. and then again different in Mexico and also different in South America. We have much more uh, uh, European vehicles also in South America, so we've got different brands there. So that's of course one thing that is that is very different. Um, that's more from a, from a strategy point of view and a product point of view, I think for us a difference. Uh, but if you think of it uh, from a marketing point of view, it's also very different. So uh, in the Americas, um, America's north, so especially in the US and Canada, you would apply different um, different marketing tools than you do in Mexico and South America. And then obviously um, languages are different, um, legislation and politics is different. If you think about access to data, which is a huge topic for us yes. in North America already, because we see much more electric vehicles in North America than we see in South America. But of course, it's it's all also developing into that direction. So, I mean, if you have to boil it down to three main differences, I would say it's definitely culture, it's legislation, um, and politics, and then um, languages, and yeah. Yes, and uh, you mentioned marketing and your mar go-to-market approach in these countries. And the cultural differences, I, I think, play play a big role. Because I, I, I now at your booth, we, we can't see it from here, but, but we can see it a bit. But at your booth here, you have this big uh, drag racing car, the funny car, is it called? So that's something which is purely US, I imagine, like in Mexico or even further south, they don't do drag racing. Not that much. Um, I think um, it's mostly a, a US thing, um, but I think it's still... Uh, for everybody who's in the automotive industry, it's exciting to see such a vehicle, 11,000 horsepower, um, more than 500 kilometers an hour is what that vehicle goes. So, yeah, um, but you are right. So um, we don't see that in South America that much. So, yeah, it's very, very different. Um, and also, I mean, in Europe, Scheffler is doing quite some marketing through DTM, yes. um, which is not so much a thing over here. So it, it really is... Um, it's a it's a local approach when it comes to marketing. I want to say. I think especially in the North American market. I mean, um, all those um, motorsports activities that are going on, like NASCAR, but also drag yeah. racing. These series, I think, are also at one point moving into um, electric and hybrid. So that's that's also interesting for us for at Scheffler to um, to work with those teams and understand, you know, how is vehicle technology evolving because. The way we go about um, motorsports is that for us, um, it is a, it is um, an opportunity to test our technology, right? Yes. And sh showcase it, of course, but also test it and see how it works um, when you actually drive the car. And also get in touch with your with your with your customer group because I can imagine at this track racing there are a lot of people who who, who work on on cars either as a job or in in their spa spare time they have their own cars. Exactly. So our target group, I believe, uh, also again from a marketing point of view, uh, we like to take our customers there. It's a great opportunity for customer engagement because we are excited about the, the same things, the vehicles, motorsports, um, vehicle technology. So, of course, we also not only use that as a vehicle to promote the brand, but also to engage with our customers, have a good time with them and discuss business. Yes, definitely. And um, 
also the, the markets itself are very different. So US or North America first is very different from Europe regarding the, the whole market structure, the, the whole supply chain. And then it's also different in Mexico and in Brazil. So how are you guys tackling that? If you look at the different markets and the different supply chain situations, I mean, also this comes back to politics, um, tariffs and those kinds of things. So, I mean, with the pandemic, we saw that the supply chain disruptions, they affected basically the entire globe, right? Yes. And that was your start because you just mentioned you started in 2020. So this was like full swing pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. And I mean... Uh, marketing is not the thing that you think about during a pandemic. You think about operations, yeah. right? Um, I think um, with our manufacturing facilities that we have, for example, in Mexico, but also in the United States, um, that gives you gives you an advantage, of course, because you are um, uh, you producing in the country for the country. Um, but it, yeah, we are we are trying to you know um, work our way through, like everybody does, um, and I think it's improving at the moment. Um, But but sure, I mean, it impacted us like it did everybody else, um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it was tough years. I mean, even for us, and we don't have to sell any products. You know, we don't have to take take care about any logistics because it's like a web service or a download. But you, for you guys, it was really really challenging. Yeah. Um, but talking about uh, digitization of the of the supply chain, so what what kind of measures? do you have in place here for the North American market? And is it something you you can take over from Europe to here? Or are you are you more or less independent? Because I had a, when I talked to guys, uh, and I think it, it's a great approach that also in your subsidiaries, in your global subsidiaries, when they when they do something great, and then you can import it back to, to your home market maybe and use it in Europe. Yeah, so um, we... At Chapla, we're looking into um, different aspects when it comes to digitalization or digitization. For me, digitalization is like the entire process of the transformation, yes. right? Um, and we have we are looking at it basically. Um, in, we divide it into four pillars, which is smart products and services, um, digital value chain with digitized processes um, and business partner and customer channels, uh, cyber physical equipment. So that's warehouses, factories, and those kinds of things. And then digital workplace for office and, and, um, and of course, also shop floor. So um, there's, there's a lot of things um, that we are working on. One thing we recently launched, um, which is the, not necessarily a supply chain um, topic, but kind of, is the Scheffler One Code. So that is a QR code that is printed on the box. Mm -hmm. And it gives our customers the opportunity to scan the product um, and they receive information about how to mount it. Um, they also receive information about the authenticity of the yeah. product, uh, which is very, very helpful. Um, we have started the rollout in Germany, but that's also something, something that is going to be implemented in the Americas region. And which, which of these uh, three areas you mentioned is, is the more interesting or more challenging? So from, from an outside perspective, for me, I guess uh, the stuff that happened in, in the whole warehousing and logistics sector in the last years. So this is really, really benefiting from uh, digitization. I mean, we all know like the examples of the Amazon robots uh, uh, running around in their warehouses and kind of automatically pack Uh, all this stuff or also this kind of different order where you put where you put stuff in in your warehouse in which locations so which from outside seems very random but a very smart algorithm tells you to do so 
Yeah, I, I think that efficiency portion that you're talking about, so cyber-physical equipment, um, digital workplace is definitely uh, a big part of it. Um, but what I think is even more important, um, apart from the efficiencies, is what do our customers get out of it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, what we definitely want to reach is we want to make sure they receive the, the right part as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, but I think another important um, aspect is the people, right? So if we think about the people who are working in the warehouse and we are optimizing processes, um, not only in the warehouse, but also in the offices, um, how do you make sure that you take everybody with you on that journey, right? So if you, for example, implement a new software, how can we make sure that people understand how to use it, that they also like to use it? How can they under better understand that they are not going to, you know, um, be, um, uh, yeah, that they're not going to lose their job at the end of the day because we have yeah, a yeah. new tool for that. Yes. So I think this whole um, part of digital transformation is, is key because every like sometimes people are like okay we need to solve this problem let's get a tool but how good is a tool if you don't know how to use it um, yes. so the the leadership the leadership um, approach that you should should take or that you would take in these digital times I think changes a little bit so it's more from a from a managerial approach you know where you um, give a task to somebody, a clear task, and they accomplish it more to a personal leadership approach where, you know, you are setting a goal where you might not even know the way to reach it, but then you have your team and um, you find a solution together. Yeah, so you figure it out together. Figure it out together, exactly. And then, of, of course, at the end of the day, provide added value for our customers, right? So that's something that is that is very, very close to my heart because it's for the short time I've been uh, I've been in this industry, I mean, six years is not a super short time, yeah. but the digitalization picked up pace so quickly, and you know we've we've started different things, um, and you know then we failed, we tried a new. I think mm -hmm. it is it is extremely um, extremely challenging, but that's also what makes it very much uh, fun. And it's also, I guess, an exciting time to be in the aftermarket because now through all this technology and, and uh, available uh, services the market is, is changing rapidly so uh, and you you were working in a in a consultancy before and dealing with vehicle manufacturers so did you did you have any clue about the aftermarket when you started and how big and how complex it is because because I remember back then this is something as like a, a normal normal guy you don't really think about all these processes behind it yeah no that's actually that's actually a great question yeah no i didn't have a i didn't really have an idea about it but i was very very fortunate um throughout my entire career up until now uh, that i had people who were um uh, helping me and you know advancing in my career and um in my previous company um back then uh, my manager told me when i already made the decision that i, I wanted to you know change the company Uh, he was asking me, okay, and where, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to Scheffler Automotive Aftermarket. And he said, yeah, well, um, so he said, uh, do you have the job? I said, no, I don't have the job, but I really want to go really like Scheffler. I think it's a great company. Yeah. <laughs> and then he said, um, so which division, you know, did you, where did you apply? And I said, it's Automotive Aftermarket. And he said, yeah, you know, I've been, we've been working together in this aftermarket project, um, but how much do you know? It's very complex. And I said, um, well, I'm... 
I'm, I'm about to prepare for it, but yeah. like, do you, what can you share something with me? And then he showed me, um, he showed me an overview, um, uh, like a poster where like all the different players. Oh yeah, in Europe we get these big posters where exactly. you see the whole aftermarket exactly. structure and the different companies. Exactly. So I, I, you know, use that as a basis to teach, like teach me, like yes. learn about the, um, the industry and I'd better understand what's going on. And, um, That helped me a lot. So no, a short answer to your question is I didn't know about, much about it um, and it is extremely complex. But like you said, I think that's also what makes it fun, especially now um, with industries changing so much, technology is changing so much and uh, we have to change uh, uh, as an aftermarket industry to, to keep up with all these changes and stay successful. Yes, and also what I witness at least with the uh, European aftermarket or manufacturers, we now also have like maybe we could call it like a generational change so there's a, a whole bunch of young and new leaders coming in who can really bring the market forward i think and it's and it's great to to see that that also younger highly qualified people come into the aftermarket yeah i i agree to that i mean i think it's a really nice diverse group um like you said What we are still missing a little bit is women in this industry yes. because, because I think um, traditionally there's not so many women interested, um, which I think is a pity because it is so exciting and, and, and nice. But I think learning from the, from the experienced uh, colleagues um, and then adding the new thoughts and new ideas to it, that is a very fruitful mix, you know, of, um, um, of, um, of knowledge and experience uh, that that will help to um, propel the industry forward yes definitely and i also think it, it is good to bring people from other industries in to get like they are a, a different point of view on 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 topics and not like people who are like in in the same industry for 20 30 years which is also good because they're quite experienced but i guess you need to mix it up and also get some some outsiders so to say too yeah. which uh, really can propel your business forward Yeah. And in terms of digitalization, uh, does it also help you to provide? Because this, this is something everyone is talking about. We need to, we need to create value-added services for our customer. It's not, it's not, uh, it, it, it's not enough to just have the best part or the, the best part at the right time. We also need to, need to, to have for better customer retention. We need to build real engagements through services, especially to the workshops, for example. Yeah. Um True. Uh, so at Scheffler, we have our service brand that's called Rep Expert, and uh, Rep Expert is basically. Yes. <laughs> I, I know them very well. And speaking of young, young new leaders, we have uh, Sven Olaf Müller. Yeah. In in Langen, he's based, I guess, and it's also it's a very great team over there in Europe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's Sven's team, um, but it's also um, Hamid Manish's team. He's yes. our uh, global head of digitalization for the aftermarket division, and they are doing like. A tremendous job in you know setting up the uh, we call it our aftermarket cloud at Scheffler, um, where we have you know that serves us as a basis for for rep expert yeah. um, also uh, for the vehicle data that we have so we have developed some some tools internally um, and also there um, we are challenging ourselves you know having these new tools on how we can best use them and how we can take everybody with us on that journey um, and From a from an from an outside perspective, the Rep Expert website and the mobile app really gives you all the information you need about the parts, um, and it is a pretty unique 
tool um, or a pretty unique um, um, situation that we have, I want to say, because we don't sell directly to workshops at this point, right? Yeah. So that's not our main business model. But through Rep Expert, um, as a tool for workshops and uh, facilities, um, we have a connection to them. So we can touch base with them, we, we send them newsletters, and we get information about what their problems are. We have our hotline, so we are in a direct contact yeah. with the, the actual the end consumer of the product, so we can better cater their needs. Um, and we have right now on the online portal more than 200,000 um, users worldwide, which is, uh, which is, I think, a large amount. It is. Uh, which we are very proud of. Um, and we keep developing that um, further to make sure that it's easy to use and that the customer gets the value. Because eventually, I mean, if the workshop asks for the products, it also helps our distribution customers, right? So it's this, this pull approach, basically, that we are also trying to... Um, trying to apply here yes definitely and uh what what are other key differentiators for for Schaeffler products because now in the u.s it's like a huge market it's a very competitive market so there's so many companies trying to sell uh, trying to sell uh replacement parts so how did you prepare like this this market and you or how do you want to build upon the brand in the future will it be like one part we talked about already will be this uh, sponsoring from from racing events or the track racing in particular yeah um so i believe that at Scheffler our key competence is really um the OE expertise that we have from our automotive division that um, eventually carries over to the automotive aftermarket mm -hmm. right so if we think about the development of the car park more towards um, electrification, that is really where we have a close collaboration between the divisions and we can make sure that we better understand what will be coming. You might say it's not there now. No, it's not yet. Of course, the foundation business, as we call it, or the mature business um, is what we're living on mm -hmm. today. But investing in the technologies of the future is what we what we do at Scheffler. So, um, that is that is definitely i think our key um differentiator um that we have and what Scheffler is, is very much known for so if you look at the f the at the order intake on the on the automotive oe side between 2019 and, and 2021 um the order intake for electric vehicles uh, was was 19 percent on for hybrid um, electric vehicles it was 36 percent so yep. and that leaves 45% for internal combustion engines. So it is it is there, right? And it's coming. Um, of course, in the automotive aftermarket, if we look into um, how long will internal combustion engines be there, yeah. they will be there for another 20 years, right? For sure. But we have to think further and we have to make sure that um, uh, we get a good understanding in the aftermarket, our customers. So we have to, you know, embark on this journey together and learn about these products. And then, of course, and that's something... Um, that is really key for us is to get the access to the data um, yes. that's in the vehicles um, to make sure that our customers are able to repair that vehicle. So and there, there there's there's like a, a big difference between Europe and, and the US because in Europe we have a leg legislation for that. So and also we as Tech Alliance, we have our our startup Caruso, which is uh, taking care as an open marketplace for in vehicle data. But there's nothing comparable in the US yet. So we are kind of preparing of course or we are thinking about uh, market launch for Caruso in the US but there's no legislation 
That's yeah, that's correct. And um, I went to the to the breakfast um, keynote breakfast this morning to the opening session, uh, and we touched on that topic there as well. I mean, of course, it's always the it's the key topic because yes. that's really the key for the future. Um, so historically, Scheffler is very much involved in the work with associations. So, uh, like we do. Uh, in Europe, um, we also do that here. So uh, we are working with ASA and AutoCare, um, and they just announced this morning that they established this institution called FDRDA, um, which is supposed to serve like as a governance body, I think, for this um, entire undertaking here in North America. Um, so you are right. So it's it's also it's very different, I think, and the, the reason for that is that in uh, in the United States, we have the case law, so the legislation system is, is different yes. than it is in Europe. So the way you approach it is completely different, right? So I think the important thing is that we all talk to each other. Um, we learn from what's being done in Europe, um, and we also talk to other associations, right? So um, we have to be um, strong together, and um, because the vehicle manufacturers have a very uh, strong power, um, obviously, and um, yeah, we have to um, discuss, and I think the only way to to really solve this problem is to to have a dialogue and to to find yes. out um, what is the best at the end of the day for the consumer. Because if the consumer is not um, not able to choose where he wants to fix his car, um, I think then it's going to be it's going to be a lose lose situation at the end of the day. So I think. Having that dialogue and um, discussing what options we have in the industry together with the vehicle manufacturers, um, because obviously they are our customers on the UE side, right? Yes. Um, uh, is is um, is key here. No, definitely, and I guess I guess we can we can we can learn some of the groundwork we we did in Europe, which which doesn't mean we need to we need to do it exactly the same way as in Europe because it's a different market, yeah. it's different players, it's the same manufacturers, yes, but but a different market, different entities. But but I guess some something will have to happen in in the near future to make sure that the or the all market participants get access or non-discriminating access to to in vehicle data. But uh, talking about the electrification of the car park, and I think you you would agree because myself I see it more like as a as a chance for the aftermarket. So it's not like Armageddon as a lot of people said like a couple of years ago because I mean it's still a car. It still consists of parts. It's lesser parts. They are more expensive to produce, but there's also like like a chance for, for example, for remanufacturing these expensive parts where like a lot of expensive materials are in there. So, and also, I think we are now, as as you mentioned before as well, that the topic is there. We, there's no there's no need to wait for these electric cars. They are there. And when you when you see the 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 first uh, Tesla model. Model S is is like eight years old, so they are in the aftermarket now, and we we need to need to do this business now. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And 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 what you earlier said, it's not Armageddon. I I would agree to that. And I think um, it's not that it's going to change tomorrow. So I think naturally, like with m most things that change, for instance, the pandemic, right? I mean, um, we are we are like I think very very much able to to adapt and find new ways, new business models um, to to deal with that situation. Um, so I think it's going to be a, a development that we will see. And, and like you said, I mean, um, sustainability is a big part of it. So I think that the 
the business models will change more towards remanufacturing maybe. So that's something um, that we might see um, more digital business models. Um, I mean, talking about the access to the data, I mean, there's tons of use cases behind access to data, yes. right? That that will uh, be beneficial um, for the customers, for the end consumer. So yeah, there's definitely, I think, um, a lot of things that we will see. And it's funny because when I worked in consulting back then, uh, we had this vision 2020. And then the yeah. year 2020 arrived and I was like reflecting on what we were discussing back then. And f at that time, for some reason, fleets were like a huge topic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't want to diminish the topic of fleets, absolutely not. Um, but what I think is that um, we don't see um, as much car sharing, but that's also something I think where you can say um, the pandemic kind of... Um, made people go back to individual mobility right so yes it's you never know what will come your way and then what's going to happen you can prepare and you can you can try to define the strategy and then at the end of the day you have to pivot based yeah. on what's happening outside right and what is happening in the world no and and i i totally agree uh, all the, this this big fleet topic we saw all the years and and be it like roland berger mckinsey so you you got the studies that there will be large fleets pretty soon and we have this end of ownership so no one will own a car anymore and i also i also agree that this this is is not happening as 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 predicted i think i i i do think that this would be a way bigger problem for the aftermarket than electric car because when the when the driver is not owning the car anymore he cannot make the decision where to repair it so this would be like a huge difference but again like in germany and i guess it's even it's similar in the us like most of the people in germany 90 percent of the people don't live in the big cities they live on the countryside and then car sharing is is not really an option or not available at all Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, from my, my personal experience, when I was thinking about which car I'm going to get, I was looking at um, charging infrastructure. Uh, yes. I live in Charlotte in North Carolina. I mean, there in the city, of course, you have the opportunity to charge the car. But if you want to, you know, um, like do go on a weekend trip and um, you have to plan around where can I charge the electric vehicle, it's not likely that many people do that. I mean, unless we have the infrastructure, um, yeah, it's not going to... That's not going to happen, right? Yes, definitely. And also, we are we are in the US, which is kind of the the, the land of e-commerce, so to speak. And we see also uh, different e-commerce players here at Apex. One one is uh, right over there. It's Walmart, which are here. So at, at Auto Mechanica Frankfurt, it was was a really big topic and I, I'd say heated discussion because there was like this big eBay area, and we also had eBay in our in our in our tech talk so we had a guest from ebay uh there but how do you how do you think is the is the sentiment over here are people more relaxed regarding this e-commerce topic that like big e-commerce platforms or e-commerce players are stepping into the market or is there also some tension regarding that i think there's probably also some tension um but i believe you know that It is at the end of the day, it's an opportunity for everybody. It's just a question of how do you deal with it, right? So, um, I mean, of course, we see that. I think after China, um, North America is the second um, largest market for uh, auto parts sales and e-commerce. Yes. Um, so we do see that here. And what I think is just key is that you think about that topic, right? I mean, um, 
I think a couple of our customers are also active and what we need to do is we need to provide them the data so they can they can be successful there, um, provide them the pictures. I mean, um, it changes, you know, also the way you look at um, intellectual property. You have to get the pictures out because if you have pictures, let's say with watermarks, for example, yes. um, then Google will not accept them. It's really bad. Google doesn't like that. <laughs> Google doesn't like that, exactly. So... Um, I believe that it is um, more an opportunity than a threat, uh, and I think it is important that we um, we uh, we think about a strategy on how we want to deal with it. From a manufacturer, also from a supplier point of view, um, what I want to say is that it is important that you make sure, but maybe not only from a supplier point of view, but for, for every market player, it's important that you make sure that you take care of your brand, right? So the brand you yeah. own. So for me, it's like a shopping window. Um, so, so we really want to um, make sure that the Scheffler brand is well represented, whoever sells the product. And at the end of the day, if it's our customers yep. um, or ourselves, um, but we want to make sure that it has a good brand rep representation and that the end customer at the end of the day can identify that it's, it's an authentic product and that they get all the information they need and that they are able to write a, uh, order the correct part, right? So I think that's at the end of the day what it, what it boils down to. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I agree that for, for parts manufacturers, it's, it's a good opportunity, e-commerce, because then you have like this direct channel to a customer. But I also think that it, that it's not something you can do on the side. And I said this also at Auto Mechanica when I did the keynote at the, at the eBay booth. I mean, manufacturers in Europe, they have all their data is, is in TechDoc. In TechDoc, there are 360 degrees images. There are product descriptions. There are, You, you can add PDF files for, for, for your, for your, for your sales listing and stuff. But if you want to take it seriously, it's, let's say I want to sell on eBay or I want to sell on Amazon. You need to know about these platforms and you need to get specialists in how to play on these platforms because otherwise just, just doing it like on the side and putting my data there and dump my data there, this will not work. And also regarding brand perception, as you said. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you have to have a strategy and you have to have um, the right people to do it. So like you said, it's not something you can do on the side. It's not something you can you can have an intern do for you. You have to have the expert. No. And that's I think it that is also something that is um, in the digital space. Uh, what what we are um, what we're all searching for and what is also the challenge in the labor market right now that you. Yeah. It's difficult to find um, to find the talent, right? So the people who can who can work on these things and who can do it. So um, that is yes, and especially in the US. I mean, like for aftermarket company, we also need every company needs like developers or highly qualified IT people, and this is already a nightmare in Europe. And then I think in the US, depending on where you are at. And you're, you're competing with the big tech companies who are kind of hiring like 2,000 developers each year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. It's definitely a challenge. Um, we, are, we have just launched a global um, um, employer branding campaign at Scheffler. Mm -hmm. So we are, I think, I mean, aftermarket, and we, we talked about it earlier, it's a really fun industry to work in. And I yes. think you just have to, you know... Um, bring that out in the open and let people know about it um, that it's it's you, you cannot only make a career at Google or Amazon but we also have really amazing uh, companies here in the automotive aftermarket industry so finding the talent is definitely hard and keeping the talent um, I think we have we've seen the, the, the big resignation um, 
after the pandemic uh, that probably hit all of us. Um, and yeah, so that part of digitalization, I want to say, is basically, for me at least, it's the most important part because you can think about strategies and concepts and how you want to set everything up, but if you don't find anybody who can help you actually make it happen yes. and keep these people um, in the long run and keep educating these people in the long run, um, uh, then you're definitely not going to win anything, right? If you, yep. if you, if the company you work in evolves slower than the world around you, um, then uh, you start to have a problem. So, yeah, with this this agile situation, I want to call it, um, it's definitely a challenge. But I think if we do a good job in getting the word out and um, letting people know that it's very exciting to work in this industry, then we will continue to be on the growth path for sure. Yes, definitely. And I guess there, there are also benefits working for, for, for Scheffler and not for, for Google, for example. I guess in Scheffler, you, you have more, more room to grow and you can have probably a, a, a bigger impact on a, a product or a service, which is getting developed and like in, 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 in some of this, this big, uh, tech companies. Um, I mean, I cannot speak for the tech companies. I can only talk yeah. about, uh, what we do at Scheffler, but I would agree. I mean, Uh, we got different divisions. We've got um, you, we've got engineering jobs. Um, you've got um, you've got um, sales jobs. You've got um, the digital topics. Of course, we are talking about right now. So there's a lot of things happening. Happening a lot of opportunities. We have a large footprint globally. So um, there's there's lots of lots of opportunities to work around the world. I mean, like like I did moving from yes. from Europe to the US, uh, which was really really an amazing opportunity for me personally. So. Yeah, I mean, if you look closer um, and you look at what many companies have to offer, I mean, Scheffler is a family-owned business um, and um, it has a long tradition. It's very interesting. You know, if you see, um, if you look at it from an engineering point of view... That the yes, it's, it's German engineering. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's German engineering and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's great people and it's an amazing company. So, yeah. Yeah, and I guess what what you guys are doing quite well is 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 taking your your whole work workforce with you on the journey. When I was talking to Jan Bambas in the first season, he mentioned regarding the sustainability topic. You did this this uh, you reached out to all of the employees so they could send in suggestions and ideas uh, of of measures which should be implemented in the future. And I guess. This is like the way forward to, to give people purpose and so they see that, that what they are doing has an impact. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's also what we're doing on the digitalization side. So we, we have different um, surveys that we have out and um, especially like an example now in my team uh, for the Americas region, um, we are building that up at the moment. So we just closed our survey, I think, yesterday. Oh. And uh, um, so based on that survey, we want to find out, okay, how do one, how do people want to interact with the digital yeah. team? How do they want to learn about um, digital topics? Because we can put it on the internet, we can send an email, we can set up meetings, but we don't want to do anything like, like for our customers. We don't want to do anything um, that we think people want, but we want to ask them what they actually want. Yeah. Um, and then based on that, we can work our way through. Um, and we have a similar approach from a strategy point of view where we say, okay, how good is the strategy that, you know, the management team thinks, thinks about and then dumps it on the team and says, okay, there you go. This is the strategy. Please follow me. So if yes. you don't partake in the development, um, you will not be willing to commit to it. Right. So I think that goes across basically all business decisions. If you feel that you have a say, 
And if you feel that you can influence where, you, where the company is going, you're much more likely to, to be engaged and to, um, to be happy in your job, basically. Yes, definitely. And uh, as we are now coming to the end of our, of our session, at the end, we are always looking a bit more into the future. Uh, so at first I would, I would, I would talk to you about the near future maybe and the situation we are now in. So in Europe, I guess we are pretty much in recession. In uh, North America, I think it's, it's more or less the same. So how will this affect your business and also selling parts now? I think what we see, what we see at the moment, um, is that with the supply chain situation improving and not really knowing what is coming. Um, I believe that the everybody quite stocked up their warehouses quite a bit. So I think what we are going to see after like this, like this big incline of demand after the pandemic is we're going to see the demand dropping. We already see that in North America. Um, a little bit if you look at the, um, the industry barometer that ASA is uh, publishing quarterly, Uh, if you look at South America, I believe that it's still more on the on the upper side of things. But uh, I think what we can expect is that that is going to decline sooner or later um, a- as well. Um, and then, I mean, we we have the midterm elections here in the U.S. Yes. coming up next week, and then we just had the election uh, in Brazil. Um, so I think uh, for me, I mean, I don't have the crystal ball. <laughs> No. Um, but um, I think it is. It, it's to be seen what's going to happen. But um, yeah, I think we we might see um, more like a decline in in the demand. But it's for me, it's just natural because we had this this pendulum swing basically coming yes. out of the pandemic, and then now it's going to slow down, and it takes a while to um, yeah to go back to normal levels. I, yes, definitely. But I, I just always think like in in the aftermarket, which is a very As we all know, automotive aftermarket is a very cost-sensitive market, so people like to like to bargain and stuff. And I think it's very complicated to to just put a markup on 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 your price when you when your costs are increasing. So this is very very difficult for for especially for the manufacturers, but also for the distributors. Yeah, I mean it's a bet, right? Um, I think it also strongly depends on the market. It is. Um, I mean it's it's always something where we. We want to be successful together, right? We want to be our customers yes. to, succe- to be successful, and we want to be successful. Um, and we've seen the increases um, in the prices for raw materials. I mean, of course, yeah. that's 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 some, something. We also see the increases for labor costs. Another thing, but um, it's a it's a very local decision um, every time, I believe. And we carefully think about how do we react to all the different parameters that impact our our decisions uh, on that. Yes, definitely. And if we look further in the future, so if we will meet again in 2030 here at Apex, I hope we, we will meet earlier. But if we and when we when we'll meet at, at 2030, what will be the topics or what what will have happened in terms of digitalization for the aftermarket? And and maybe will we then have people like on LinkedIn putting uh, instead of ex Tesla, ex uh, Apple, they put ex ex Scheffler in their in their biography? I would hope so. <laughs> But you know what I mean, you know, all these guys like ex-Apple, ex-Tesla. Yeah. yeah um, so, I mean, what I think we are going to see is we are going to see more products for electric vehicles, hybrid vehicles, for sure. Uh, but if we think about 2030, I think about around a quarter of the vehicles globally will be electrified. I mean, obviously, that yeah. depends on the region you're in, of course. 
Um, so we will still see like a large amount of um, internal combustion engines products as well. Um, we at Chefla we just launched our first e-mobility repair solution, the the Rep System um, G for an e-axle application. So I hope um, we launched it in Europe at Automechanica. So I hope to see yep. something like that here in the US again. We we're definitely working on it. Um, yeah, then I, I think that we will see uh, it's going to be probably a little bit more more digital maybe um, than it is today. Um, also when it comes to, you know, exhibits. Um, will we be in the metaverse? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, I really... No one's believing in the metaverse. No, I really hope. And I think, I mean, probably, probably it's been said um, a lot by everybody recently that um, everybody's super happy to meet in person. But I think it's really very much a people's business. And I yes. really, really hope that we will meet in person. And it's not going to be virtual, that we're not going to have another pandemic. Um, I also hope to see more regarding sustainability. Um, I think that it's, that's a topic that will pick yes, up. Yes, it's, it's a first Scheffler milestone 2030. Exactly, yes, it is. Uh, you are right. Um, so, and I also hope to see that here in the United States a little bit more, um, in the Americas region in general. I think in Europe, um, it's people are more conscious about sustainability at this point in time. But I think um, if we don't do anything, um, we, everybody loses. So we need to think about that. So I'm hoping to see more. Um, regarding sustainability, remanufacturing maybe, um, electrification of vehicles. Um, and then I also think that maybe the amount of e-commerce players, like we saw Walmart here, um, new market and like market players, new market entrants might be something that we, we will see so that there's going to be other players um, also exhibiting at Apex. So that's my take on it. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time for taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Christian. I enjoyed talking to you. It was uh, a lot of fun. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for letting me give um, the audience some insights about Chefla. I very much appreciate that. And thank you for your time. You're welcome. Pleasures on my side. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. It's a wrap. And we covered a lot of ground talking about all the hot topics and how Chefla is currently dealing with them today. It was a pleasure talking to Anna. My key takeaway of this episode is definitely Anna's and also Scheffler's in general focus on their employees. As she mentioned, no matter what the future holds for the aftermarket, we need to stay on top of things, on top of the most pressuring topics. And to do so, we need the right people doing the right tasks, qualified people and align them towards tackling these challenges. If you guys liked what you heard, feel free to leave a positive review. If you want to learn more about Anna, Scheffler and the funny car maybe, you will find the links in the show notes. So long, take care and bye bye.